So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this is the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins, your host. If you are listening live or on replay on the app, uh, please be sure to give us a subscribe and a follow uh, so that you can uh, you know, uh, get uh, updated and get notified when we go live. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to rate us and follow us. Um, and, you know, consider uh, getting the app, because if you get the app, you get to call in and, and join the conversation. Um, so today, uh, so last, early, earlier this week, uh, on, on Tuesday, we talked to Lori Roberts and Aaron Thorpe about um, kind of the, the ramifications and the fallout uh, if, if Roe is indeed struck down as it looks like it's going to be. Uh, and... Um, while we were talking about that, we were talking about, you know, what it's going to be like in these red states where there are all of these kind of uh, what are kind of referred to as trigger laws where Roe Ro Ro being uh, struck down will, like, automatically result in uh, abortion being illegal in these states. There are some uh, counter-trigger laws in blue states, which will make it uh, automatically legal, but... Uh, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, dire state of affairs. I mean, even states like Michigan, like Michigan will automatically revert back to a 1930s law, uh, which will make it illegal. Um, I'm pretty sure that in California, however, uh, there is a trigger law which will make it so that it uh, stays legal, at least in the state. Um, but obviously people in California, uh, as they were around the country, were pretty pissed off at the... Uh, uh, the the ruling, the draft opinion that was leaked, uh, obviously the ruling hasn't come out yet. It looks like it might come out in June, maybe next month, maybe it'll come out this month. You know, it's really hard to know with this stuff. Uh, but uh, so people in Los Angeles, in, in downtown Los Angeles, went out on, on the night of May the 2nd. They went out to protest, uh, to get out there and to express their uh, dissatisfaction with the court, their anger with the court, and their anger uh, with a political system that has uh, put us into this situation, I think, where where we really have to rely on the courts to uh, to kind of uphold this this right that you know has has been part of American life for 49 years now, um, like like across the country. Although obviously it has been you know curtailed at different times, and it's been a flashpoint of of controversy and. Uh, political uh, anger uh, for for five decades, over five decades. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, this is uh, this is the situation that we're in. So people went out into downtown LA, and uh, my guest uh, Vishal Singh was was there, uh, independent journalist, uh, videographer, does a lot of great work. Uh, follow them on Twitter. They 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 post awesome videos uh, from LA specifically about the police and the right wing there. Uh, but anyway, so as the protests were ongoing, uh, LAPD showed up with Department of Homeland Security cops. And they, and, and Vishal uh, captured a lot of this. Uh, they were, you know, aggressively pushing people and uh, hitting people. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a very, like, like, almost like a disproportionate response to what was kind of a very natural uh, outpouring of uh, political anger. And, and, and it really struck me when I was watching it, especially like, like the ugliness and the anger and the rage uh, that was uh, like, like behind a lot of this, of, of what was going on. So I asked Vishal to come on and, and to talk a little bit about this, and I'm hoping that we can talk to them as well a, a little bit about uh, the, the right and LAPD in general and how, 
how these uh, elements kind of uh, interact with uh, on the left who who have had this kind of fraught relationship, not only in L.A., obviously, around the country uh, with authority, um, uh, the people in positions of authority, specifically police and, and police-esque um, elements and, and the right and how those two kind of go together. So, uh, Vishal, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, you want to tell people a little bit about, like, the work that you do? I, I, I tried to get a little bit of an overview of it, but I was hoping that maybe you could go in a little bit more detail. Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, thanks for having me, Owen. Big fan, big fan of your work. Uh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I've been doing independent reporting on the ground in Los Angeles and Southern California for the last uh, two years, covering the protest scene uh, from the far right, as well as uh, civil rights demonstrations, Black Lives Matter, stuff like that. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, kind of crunchy stuff from uh, local law enforcement in in the neighborhood and kind of got a good idea of just how things go about outside of my journalism. I'm also a documentary filmmaker. I do post-production work, assistant editing for Netflix, Disney, National Geographic, stuff like that. Um, you know, the journalism stuff, I've kind of just tried to fit into my uh, personal time uh, when I'm not working and trying to just kind of show a lot of what I, I kind of perceived was getting ignored by a lot of um, local legacy media and um, saw a gap that needed to be filled and figured I could, I had some skills and should try and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, your work has been really valuable, I think, to kind of uh, show what it's like to be on the ground uh, during, during these protests. Uh, But, you know, because you have like this professional background, even though, you know, even though it is kind of like hand cam, uh, and, and, you know, like, obviously you're a filmmaker on that, so that's probably not the right term for this, but like, you know, like, like you're right there, but, but the shots are really good. And I really like that. It kind of gives it like a bit of a cinematic, uh, take to it. You're very good at like kind of keeping the camera on the people that it needs to be, which a lot of the time, and this is not like a slam on anyone like this, but I think a lot of the time people who don't have that professional training when they are trying to show what's going on, uh, in these demonstrations and these protests, they can kind of not quite make it uh pop quite as much because they don't have that professional training so i really appreciate that um so what so let's um let's start with uh what happened on monday night right monday night or tuesday night tuesday night tuesday night. so let's let's start with what happened on tuesday night and then um we'll kind of we'll kind of from there we'll kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about you know the the right-wing movement in uh in southern california and and uh the issues with the cops there but uh, so, so what happened Tuesday night? So, so people obviously went out into the streets. Uh, you know, the draft opinion came out pretty late on Monday. So, I, you know, like, I don't think a lot of people really had the opportunity uh, to really come out um, in the same way that they that they did like the next night. So, you know, it, lo- it looked like there were at least hundreds of people there. W- would that be accurate? Yeah, I think at its peak, and I, even LAPD said a similar number. I, I would gather it neared around a thousand people, maybe a little bit more. Um, Started out with just a couple hundred and really just started picking up steam. Um, yeah, in the wake of the the leak of the draft opinion, you know, there was a lot of talk in the Los Angeles scene, and uh, quickly a couple of organizers started uh, started putting out that they wanted to go to the federal courthouse in downtown Los Angeles the following evening, around six thirty, give people time to get off work and whatnot. 
Um, I got there probably around six o'clock and there was already a sizable crowd of a couple hundred people outside of the federal courthouse, mostly just chanting, giving speeches, um, talking about what the right to choose means to them, their future, talking about the pitfalls and the um, the slippery slope that can kind of follow if, if Roe v. Wade is really repealed. Um, and as things progressed, um, the night started off, I honestly, you know, I've been, I haven't actually seen anything get pretty intense in the Los Angeles protest scene for a while. So I honestly didn't expect that much. I usually wear some protective gear. Tuesday night, I, I didn't wear anything. I just went in my normal work clothes. Um, after, you know, a couple, maybe one or two hours of speeches, uh, the crowd started marching, um, started moving through downtown Los Angeles, went about half a mile away from the federal courthouse to a kind of town square area called Pershing Square in downtown L.A., where a lot of organizers and protesters like to kind of gather. Um, and they, they gathered there and started doing more speeches and occupying an intersection in front of Pershing Square. And, um, at, you know, the sun went down, The it started getting darker, and I believe it was about um, around 8 o'clock, 8.30, I noticed there was a bit of commotion in the street. So I went over, saw what was going on, saw basically a an all-black um, police car, no signage or anything on it, with its sirens activated in front of a large group of protesters, and there was some kind of a standoff going on, and I proceeded to start filming that, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, two Department of Homeland Security vehicles from the Federal Protective Service Agency um, kind of just zoomed in right in the crowd, uh, drove very, very dangerously close to a lot of protesters, slammed their brakes right in front of them, what I thought was extremely reckless behavior. And, um, and proceeded to immediately get out of their cars, pull out their batons, and start shoving people without seemingly without cause. Um, I even saw them shove a photojournalist um, just because he was in their way. You know, he wasn't doing anything. Um, to me, that was a surprise. I, I I expect that kind of behavior from LAPD, but um, I've been reporting on protests in downtown Los Angeles for two years. I've witness protests in downtown Los Angeles for six years since, like, the Trump inauguration, I've never seen anything like that, ever. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of gnarly behavior from both LAPD and the Sheriff's Department, but the Federal Protective Service and Department of Homeland Security, this isn't really their, um, it's not their beat. Um, we were half, you know, the Federal Protective Service is in charge of guarding and the safeguard of federal buildings all around the country. They have, um, pretty small, uh, it's a small agency, only about 1,400 employees. They mostly contract out to uh, third-party security companies to kind of do the uh, security work for the buildings themselves. But I've, I've never seen them, you know, engaged in this, like, kind of crowd control behavior or attempted crowd control behavior. I mean, there was only, like, five or six of them trying to handle a crowd of hundreds. And it just, even from, like, a, even from a law enforcement perspective, it just seemed like a really incompetent and inefficient way to handle a crowd. Um, I don't know who ordered them there. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has not been forthcoming with any media inquiries. Um, I know several journalism uh, organizations have reached out to them for comment, and they've been pretty 
tight-lipped about it. LAPD has spoken to uh, several journalists. The incident captain there also said that he is, was, they were unaware of what the Department of Homeland Security was there for, what their operational capacity was. Seems to be somewhat of a mystery. And as after, you know, they showed up and immediately started getting violent, that agitated the crowd. It really started a conflict where there was none. Yeah, and so let me, like, let me, if, if I can just interrupt for a second, because I just want to... Like, please. So the uh, the cop who's, you know, in, you know in, in the photo for the flyer here, but... Uh, who is what? Like he's LAPD, right? Or is he DHS? That guy? No, no, no. That so that is a uh, DHS officer specifically from the Federal Protective Service. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to be clear on like uh, just for my own. Uh, no worries. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and anyone um, on Twitter, like like you know, we'd be posting these videos again. Uh, they're on uh, Vishal's page, and uh, and I'll, I'll repost them in in a thread. But go go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, LAPD was on the scene at that point. They had a very limited presence. They were basically just following the march as they usually do. They had one unit in the front, one unit in the back, and they had one unit parked at Pershing Square. Not a crowd control unit, just a monitoring unit. And they they weren't really responding to anything until this conflict happened in the middle of the street. And uh, once once the the FPS officers from the Department of Homeland Security started really getting violent and, you know, aggressive and started shoving people and pushing people. They started taking batons and really, you know, hitting people hard. Um, I think that was when LAPD sprung into action a little late, a little unprepared, which again leads me to believe that they really didn't know why DHS was there because they weren't really prepared for for things to get spicy that quickly. Um, so soon a couple LAPD officers moved in, tried to contain the crowd failed, um, started moving back down the street as uh, protesters started marching away from Pershing Square and kind of back to where they had originally came from. Um, as they kept moving, that's when LAPD kind of took over. Um, from by, by 8.30, 8.40, I wasn't seeing any more um, Department of Homeland Security or FPS officers there. LAPD had kind of taken control the situation, started moving in units with riot gear, started trying to trying to make a perimeter around the intersection that the protesters had occupied. And um, LAPD's response was extremely aggressive. Um, they started batoning people to the ground. They slammed one person into, like almost next to a fire hydrant. Um, just started, you know, getting really intense. Uh, from the protester side, um, you know, I, I've seen tried, LAPD... Sorry, they, yeah. They also tried to kettle protesters as well, right? They so did. Um, they tried to outrun it. Yeah, people tried to outrun it. They tried to briefly kettle them, um, but eventually they did open up a, an exit route behind us, um, which I've been I've been kettled in that exact intersection of Pershing Square before. They don't always open up an exit route, um, so it was uh, they did actually give an exit eventually. Um, but at that point, you know, after a couple of protesters got roughed up, it was pretty much just a standoff between just a massive LAPD unit and maybe about 20 or 30 pro-choice protesters that would left. The rest of them dispersed and marched back to the federal courthouse and city hall where the protest had started, which again was about half a mile away. Um, I asked an officer on the scene maybe a little bit after a lot of the violence had kind of wrapped up, I asked if an unlawful assembly had been declared. He told me no, but that crimes had been committed 
And so that was seemingly the justification for the um, the brutality that kind of was unleashed on protesters. Um, I didn't see any or hear any less lethal munitions fired, but I did see officers draw 40 millimeter uh, less lethal launchers as well as the 12 gauge beanbag shotguns, which have actually been prohibited for LAPD use for crowd control for the last two years, I believe. Um, they don't really follow follow that um, notice from the LAPD commissioner. Um, those weapons are extremely dangerous. They have high potential to be lethal. Um, in fact, just last weekend, I think in Texas, um, there was a police shooting where they killed a man with a, with a less lethal shotgun, shot him twice, and hit him in the chest, and he had blunt trauma and passed away. So those are pretty lethal weapons, especially when used at close range, and they were aiming these weapons above the waist at protesters at near point-blank range, which, if if they had fired, that would have been potentially lethal. So I, I really didn't see any validation for such an intense level of violence towards the pro-choice protesters. Um, the most aggressive thing that... I think protesters had done was yelling and maybe some graffiti. And I, I, I really didn't see anything that warranted such, uh, such an overzealous response, uh, you know, yeah. to have 12 gauge shotguns pointed at people and to be batoning people on the ground repeatedly. It's just, it seemed way beyond the pale. Yeah, I did. I did see like the one thing that I did see was that somebody had uh, spray painted a cab. On, on on one of the uh, cop car doors, uh, yes, like, like that's it, like that, and and like whatever, uh, that's obviously fine, and you know, like that's, I, no, that there's no there's no qualification, that's totally fine, um, uh, you know, I I, I did see uh, in the reaction to this, and I kind of, I'm I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on this because you know you do a lot of on the ground uh, work, uh, kind of face to face with police. Uh, in in LA and um, and I think that a lot of the uh, you know a lot of what I see uh, from 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 you and from your perspective I think is definitely apl applicable to uh, the rest of the country and uh, so a lot of people were kind of reacting to this specific uh, protest backlash by the police with a little bit of like shock and surprise uh, because. Um, you know, I, I think that it seemed like the, the implication behind a lot of the shock and surprise was that, like, look, uh, we're not protesting against the police. Uh, we're protesting for the right to choose. So why are the police and why are, what you know, why is DHS, like, why are they reacting like this instead of, you know, just letting us express our, um, our, our opinion on this? And, I, you know, I, I think there's some interesting questions of, of uh, privilege maybe and and uh, uh, maybe some like assumptions that, that people might have for uh, the, the level of, of freedom that you actually have uh, versus like what you think you have um, but I, I'm curious what what your perspective like why like like setting that aside because we can get into that in a second but why do you think that the response to this was was so harsh do you think that it was because um, it was just such a large protest. Do you think that there was something more to it? I mean, you did say that it was the most kind of uh, I extreme reaction that you had seen in quite some time. So I'm curious why you think that is. 
Yeah, um, you know, I have some theories. I, I really do think um, L.A. law enforcement is not very comfortable with kind of anything left of center having a large scale demonstration. Um, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. Number one is naturally implicit bias. A lot of these officers are conservative themselves. Also, conservatives are more likely to kind of go through the process of filing a permit and letting officers know their route. Um, so it already puts law enforcement on on edge because they see what what they in their minds see as political opponents, but also see a a potential for unrest that they're kind of always somewhat paranoid about. Um, but I, I I I still am, am am puzzled at why they had such a fast and quick and inciting response. It is kind of the regular procedure, whether it's LAPD, LASD, or now DHS, um, I think they want to wrap things up quickly. I, I think they want to um, kind of put out a narrative that, oh, we support the First Amendment. We support peaceful protests. It's just a couple agitators that are causing the, the problems, and, and we just put them down. But we were actually supportive of the protest, and that's kind of their spin on it almost every time. Um, but I, I, I haven't seen anything of this scale since I would say last year, you know, things like the Wee Spa incident and stuff like that, um, where there was even unlawful assemblies declared or police violence being used at such a scale. And I, I wonder if LA PD and LA uh, Department of Homeland Security was just kind of apprehensive of the potential for more uprisings, you know, after the the killing of George Floyd, the protests in Los Angeles were massive. They were widespread. They were uh, loud, you know, and they there was a lot of things like property damage and stuff that law enforcement is really uncomfortable with. And I, I feel like they might have had some kind of an overreaction and overcorrection to prevent this Roe v. Wade uh, draft opinion leak being another inciting incident for that kind of of collective rage that they really want to control and have contained. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like their reaction is in itself uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because yeah. they react like that. Like, you know, the crowd uh, I'm sure like that rightfully was, was enraged with uh, the political situation. But um, I mean, from, from the limited video that I've seen, uh, people were angry, but they certainly weren't damaging anything, or they they weren't they weren't yeah. like like there wasn't any like there didn't seem to be I don't know I mean I'm sure that I'm sure that a lot of people maybe even most people who are listening to this have been at at, at political protests um, and ones that have uh, you know gotten heated um, and. You know, when that happens, there is a kind of like buzz in the air. There's a certain like kind of feeling, yeah. um, and and obviously I wasn't there on the ground, but it didn't seem to me that that was the vibe that people had. Like it, like people were like there is a difference between being angry and the kind of anger that is going to explode. And it didn't yeah. seem like it was there until it until obviously you know the reaction was to start hitting people. Well, exactly. None of the really. Um intense protester reactions occurred until after the the police had had agitated and attacked them 
And, you know, a lot of people like to say, like, you know, oh, the police are rioting again. It's almost a meme in Los Angeles. And that's really what it is. The, the police will show up and start the riot. Um, before the police had arrived, the most, uh, like, aggressive thing I had seen from any protester was someone spray painted on a sign that said, like, abort the state. That's it. That's nothing. I've seen more radical stuff happened at, at, at more, much more simple protests that had no reaction like that. And I would even say um, a couple months back, there was, a, there was a youth climate strike that had comparable numbers, comparable anger, similar activist groups. They went on the exact same route. They started at City Hall, I think, and went to Pershing Square. Um, or sorry, the other way around. They started at Pershing Square, went to City Hall, um, and there was no police involvement, and nothing happened. It was completely peaceful. There was no smashed windows. There was no craziness. There was nothing. And I, time and time again, when I, I, I witness these protests, the only time violence happens is when either a right-wing agitator shows up or, most commonly, the police show up and start getting aggressive with without justifiable cause. Right, right. I mean, it 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 it, it is... Um, it, it it may sound like this is just uh, uh, blaming one side um, for what happens, but uh, it just is the way it is, um, and 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 that's just that that just tends to be uh, what happens. Um, you know, you, you you mentioned a few other uh, demonstrations and protests in LA that you've covered. Um, I, I was hoping we could kind of maybe pull back a little bit and take a more historical, uh, like recent history. Uh, kind of look at this stuff. Uh, you you know you mentioned uh, this the the climate protest, but specifically uh, the WeSpa and the George Floyd uh, demonstrations in in LA. I know that WeSpa uh, particularly was a very ugly scene uh, with yeah. with a lot of right wing agitators, and you know there's a lot to talk about as far as those protests because uh, you know what they were about and like you know the kind of modern. Uh, and by modern, I mean like the last year or two, like right wing movement, like what they've been doing, uh, specifically kind of uh, like we spot was kind of like an early example of like where where stuff was going. Um, so, and, but one one thing that you've talked about a lot is this kind of like intersection between the LAPD and right wing uh, demonstrators, uh, counter protesters, etc. In LA, so can you talk a little bit about that and about like what you've observed as far as you know, the police and, and, you know, the right wing kind of extremist elements kind of working together? Yeah. So, you know, in, in Los Angeles, um, at least in 2020, there was not as large of a contingency of right wing uh, demonstrations going on. Um, there were, you'd see the odd small Trump rally. Um, there was a pretty significant series of Trump rallies in Beverly Hills that started gaining traction and building momentum, but it was really you know, a liberal left-leaning city, as as a lot of people kind of think. And um, you, you weren't seeing things of that scale. As things got closer to the election in 2020, to the end of the election, as things started heating up in places like Kenosha and Portland, and there started to be more clashes between groups like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters and just regular, unaffiliated, far-right militants and, and, and highly hyper-nationalists. I, I, you started seeing them start cropping up in L.A. more and more. And what was interesting is LAPD had a very reserved and kind of 
almost hands-off approach when right-wing demonstrators and agitators would show up to liberal or left-leaning events and cause trouble. I mean, I, I'd even, I've even seen Capitol rioters show up at a Black Lives Matter press conference and start pushing people and harassing people. And like these press conferences usually happen in City Hall or even right in front of LAPD headquarters. And LAPD is usually just standing there watching, not really doing anything. Um, in 2020, if the momentum was in the way of Black Lives Matter and anti-fascism, then in 2021, you started seeing a big momentum shift where the far right really started taking the streets. Um, in the wake of January 6th, you started seeing large, large demonstrations pivoting from a variety of issues, from anti-vaccine and anti-mask COVID denialist dogma. You'd see... Um, a lot of stop the steal election conspiracy theory rallies. Um, more and more, they just started propping up, building momentum, gaining steam. And I think what was really important for these, these rallies was networking. It gave a lot of these right-wing um, elements a chance to meet with each other, to organize, to make coalitions, and also have, start building a rapport with law enforcement on the ground. They were able to have their own demonstrations and try and uh, be, ingratiate themselves with, with police. And I think the, um, you know, everything kind of came to a head with the We Spa situation. For those who don't know, uh, last year in Los Angeles, a, um, a local Korean day spa uh, became the target of a uh, anti-transgender panic about an alleged incident with a, um, someone who was transgender have being in a, a women's or female section. And basically, We Spa has maintained that they do not discriminate based on gender identity, because that is the law of the state of California. And um, some, a right-wing activist decided to make a viral video about it, and it hit, it hit the whole right-wing media narrative, got as far as even Tucker Carlson and Steve Bannon fear-mongering about this little Korean spa called We Spa. And um, soon it became clear that the far right was going to have a very large and very loud and very militant demonstration at the Korean spa. And, um, you know, activists in Los Angeles take LGBTQ plus rights very seriously. They really don't stand for any kinds of homophobia or transphobia. People were not falling for the the dog whistles and the, the claims that this is not transphobia, but about um, sexual misconduct. People knew what this was about. People knew the subtext here. I mean, it was barely subtext, you know, they're really just saying it, um, that they don't want transgender people allowed in these places, in just regular places, places of rest, places of, of, of rejuvenation. And um, there were two two massive We Spa protests, and both of them got extremely violent, um, with confirmed Proud Boys on the ground, far right extremists, Capitol rioters getting extremely violent with the pro LGBT plus um, supporters. Um, there were assaults with a deadly weapon. Um, an associate of mine, documentary filmmaker Rocky Romano, had his the back of his head struck with a baton by um, a right winger named Aaron Simmons. Um, and he was he was eventually charged with assault with a deadly weapon. I saw um, I saw far right extremists open carrying weapons in front of off LAPD officers, and LAPD officers did nothing. You know there there is a very strict 
LAPD policy about not having weapons or anything that can be used weapon at any kind of protest. And I've seen them kind of um, harass left wing protesters just for having a, a sign that could be used as a weapon. But here I was watching right wingers in like bulletproof vests and MAGA hats walking around with baseball bats, taser guns, um, knives, uh, just open carrying it in front of officers and indeed using them. And um, as things progressed, one of the right wing demonstrators on the first July 3rd uh, We Spa protest actually stabbed two people on camera in front of everybody. And um, there were no there was no police investigation. There was very little media coverage, at least locally. I know um, some other publications outside of Los Angeles covered it, like Washington Post and Slate at least mentioned that the stabbing occurred. Um, Fox News mentioned a stabbing occurred, but they didn't mention which side did it, uh, naturally. That's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, you know, Ian Chong from uh, the post-millennial went as far as to say Antifa did the stabbing or anti-fascist did the stabbing because one of the stabbing victims was a right-wing demonstrator, but video showed that the right-wing demonstrator was actually stabbed in a, a friendly fire incident where one of their own um, allies was just going so crazy with the knife. He fell onto the ground and just his friend was picking him up and he just started stabbing like crazy and stabbed his own ally. But, um, you know, some people found that to be, you know, a, a kind of ridiculous and absurdist moment. But I, I really want to bring attention to the, the severity of the situation because the second stabbing, the more severe stabbing was towards an LGBT plus supporter who was stabbed three times in the legs. And um, that gentleman was on crutches for months, suffered severe injuries, and there was no, there's no investigation into what happened there, into a assault with a deadly weapon with a knife in front of everybody's eye. I mean, the We Spa protests were in broad daylight. You know, there's 4K, 120 frames per second slow motion footage of both of these stabbings happening, and nothing came of it. And that really alarmed me I, I for me it was just like oh this is almost a a um a message to a lot of right-wing extremists that if you're in la you want to use lethal force against left-wing protesters you're going to get a free pass um if you hit a journalist you might be in trouble like the gentleman who hit the documentary filmmaker uh because that, that guy was charged um but stabbing a lgbt plus supporter there's no there's no repercussions for that um, that created a very dangerous, very volatile political atmosphere in Los Angeles for all of last summer, where the far right was having large scale anti-vaccine, anti-mandate protests on a weekly basis. And for a while, there were counter protests from the left. But ultimately, the left wing protesters had to stop coming for safety. They were outnumbered. They were getting beaten down. The police were working with the right against them. Um, you know, they just kept getting beaten down until enough left wing protesters were arrested or injured that they were too fatigued and stopped coming out. And from that point on up till recently, it's really been just right wing demonstrations in Los Angeles, which I think would surprise a lot of people. But even as recently as last month, there was a massive right wing demonstration um, right in City Hall. And they had thousands of people. It was much bigger than the, the pro-choice rally on Tuesday. Um, of course. But of course, there was no police. I mean, because because the precedent. What you're talking about, it sounds like, is that, you know, that this precedent was set, right? That, that like, yes. this is intentional. And so the result that they wanted uh, was for 
for exactly what you uh, are saying happened, right? That that there exactly that, uh, the, that the right wing would feel emboldened and feel like they could easily go correctly that they could easily go out and uh, and 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 go to these demonstrations and 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 have these demonstrations not have anything to happen to them and 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 the left was relatively cowed, I, I guess, in a way. Um, so. Uh, what, what was the demonstration about in City Hall? You were just talking about that. I just cut you off. Sorry. Yeah, no, it was fine. I mean, it was just another anti-vaccine, anti-mandate thing. It was actually kind of um, coordinating with the, the people's convoy that had been moving through the country. It had arrived in L.A. and um, that momentum kind of strung people to action. Pretty ironic because almost all the mandates have already been lifted. So I don't know if they even know what they're protesting anymore. But, you know, as easy as it is to laugh at about that, it was never about vaccines. It was never about COVID-19. It was never about mandates or masks. It was about cultivating political power amongst an extremely far-right base and radicalizing kind of regular conservatives and normalizing political violence. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is a really, and and let's talk about this a little bit, because I, I think this is a really important um, aspect to, uh, both the the kind of right wing uh, protest movements and the way that the police and and other you know right wing uh, uh, state institutions uh, react to them right that you have uh, these these fringe groups uh, that are that have been working like over especially over the last two years uh, to radicalize people already on the right or you know kind of, or even like kind of maybe even more apolitical people. Uh, to the fringes of the of the far right, and they are using, as you're saying, uh, specifically like the anti-vax, anti-mandate stuff on the one hand, um, anti-trans stuff on the other hand, and they're using these two kind of um, flashpoint elements uh, to kind of bring people in. You know, they're, like they're they're kind of getting people through right-wing entryism, uh, through people like you know Joe Rogan and. Um, and, and, and other people like that who, who kind of, you know, use their platforms to kind of uh, to, to bring this stuff kind of forward uh, to these more apolitical people. And then they're, they're, then they're you know, a little more susceptible uh, to hearing these arguments. And then, you know, you talk to somebody like a year or two later, and they've just completely gone off the deep end. Um, and and it, I, I'm wondering what you've seen. I mean, because you've seen these protests. Have these protests been growing or have they stayed around the same size? Um, and then, and I guess that the other question, uh, if they have been growing, is how much of that is them feeling emboldened by uh, relative inaction by the police, and how much of it is just, uh, uh, just like, just like the kind of natural growth of this far right movement. Um, I think overall the trend has been a, a slow growth, but it, it's more ebb and flow. So you know, they'll have one big protest and show of force and then for a couple of weeks it'll just be some small smattering ones and then they'll have another really big one so it's kind of up and down with them and it really it really seems to be they follow whatever the the wave is at the time whatever is exciting to talk about if there's a big mandate that came out this week you're going to get a lot of people to show up if tucker carlson is telling you that you need to be angry at disney this week you're going to get a lot of people out so it kind of almost just flows with the the media narratives from right wing um, ideologues, and it just it, it 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 has been growing. It's definitely growing. If I look at it from a perspective of now versus two years ago, it's significantly bigger. 
but it's harder to tell in the micro scale rather than the macro because it, it's just it goes up and down and up and down. But when it does go up, it's a little bit higher each time. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of tell that like that that the, the snowball may be moving slowly, but it is moving right. Yeah, and 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 with with LAPD, you have um, some officers that have openly shown sympathies towards these right wing demonstrations. There's even been incidents where LAPD officers in uniform walked across the street, were photographed walking across the street in uniform, carrying an anti-vaccine mandate banner and walking to join the protest. And that's, you know, and I know Office of Inspector General investigated that, and um, they've investigated some other incidents of LAPD officers just use use of social media, just posting flagrantly right-wing stuff, reposting Proud Boys, reposting um, Capitol rioters, um, sharing their love for Kyle Rittenhouse, things of that nature. Um, there's never any fallout following those investigations. I haven't seen any real um, backlash towards LAPD for it, but there is an acknowledgement that it is happening, that there is a, an implicit bias going on with LAPD and as well as the Sheriff's Department. Actually, the state of California just finished an audit of five law enforcement agencies in the state and um, potential ties to hate groups. And they were finding that they were there was a smattering of officers and deputies from these five agencies, including the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, that were showing a social media support, so consistent social media support for groups like they specifically cited in the in the state audit, they cited the Proud Boys, they cited the Three Percenters, and they even cited neo-Confederate support. And so when you have a a mostly conservative law enforcement um, base and they are constantly seeing politics that they value getting a louder and louder platform after spending all of 2020, um, you know, in, in what they saw as a war against an anti-cop movement. To them, it's it goes, they don't even see it as a conflict of interest. They're just like, oh, this is, there's, there's no problem here. That's finally okay now. They, they see the right-wing demonstrations as almost like a saving grace. And so they're more likely to turn a blind eye to the violence. They don't really care. Um, sometimes they collaborate in violence. I've seen people being attacked by LAPD and right-wing demonstrators at exactly the same time sometimes. I've seen right-wing demonstrators standing behind a police line pointing out protesters and then the officers pointing their guns at the same protesters. And it's, 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 it's so closely bound together, it's all but just declared that they have this support for each other. And it's, it, I, I don't really know how to kind of untangle those, um, those supporting beliefs between them because at the end of the day, most police officers in the country, most law enforcement officers in the country are conservative or far right even. And th th this, uh, this connection between them and far right extremists is only going to become closer and closer. I think they had a, a small moment of, of um, wanting to step back after January 6th. But honestly, um, I've seen LAPD officers openly collaborate with um, January 6th Capitol rioters. And, and to, you'd think they'd have an issue with, with the people that were beating cops up and throwing fire extinguishers at them, but I guess not. Well, I mean, there were, you know, there were a lot of cops in that crowd, so. 
It's true. It's true. There were four, four, four employees from LAPD and one employee from Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department that were confirmed to have been in the Capitol on January 6th. And we still never got a follow up about that. It's been it's been quite a while. and We didn't really hear back. We just heard that they were there and didn't, didn't hear if there were any repercussions, didn't hear what their specific involvement was, you know. Yeah, just just like just uh, total silence. Um, you know, I, I I I also want to you know to acknowledge that that you uh, yourself uh, have been the target of a lot of threats. Uh, specifically, um, I think I think during We Spa things were things things got a little hot, right? Definitely, um, lots of lots of death threats, lots of doxing. You know, I've been doxed probably three or four times. I've had my entire family doxed. You know. People have posted the addresses of my parents and my brother, posted my social security number on the internet. You know, I've, uh, there's been a pretty significant backlash from the far right as, you know, my, my work started getting more and more traction. Um, we Spa was definitely a, a, a near, nearing the peak for me in terms of harassment and being targeted. And unfortunately, it resulted in... in violence you know i um well at we spa i actually had my hand broken by lapd um i was filming and they batoned my camera hand two hands on the baton broke my hand and about two weeks after that i was filming an anti-vaxxer protest in west hollywood and um it was a pretty small protest they were targeting this bar in west hollywood that was simply asking people to show proof of vaccination before entering and um, I was, unfortunately, it seemed the only journalist on the scene. I arrived and they were already getting into fights with locals in the area. I walked across the street to try and get a bang better angle of what was going on, which proved to be a, a near fatal mistake. Um, once the right wing extremists saw me, they kind of completely changed their attention and started surrounding me and screaming at me and pointing at me, yelling, oh, it's Bashal, it's Antifa, oh, it's the Antifa journalist, blah, 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 blah. And I started to just back away. I kept filming. I wasn't yelling back at them. I didn't do anything to kind of agitate them. I was just like, okay, this is a very dangerous situation. I need to exit. Um, as I was backing away down an alley, one of the far-right militants, who also happens to be a, uh, an MMA instructor, he walked behind me, shoulder checked me from the back. I turned around. I was still filming, you know, so it's it's very hard to be walking, having situational awareness of being surrounded by a mob of 20, 30 people and then all, all of a sudden get hit from behind. I turned around and he immediately started punching me in the face, uh, hit me about six or seven times. And remember, at this point, I still have a broken arm. My hand is still in a cast. So I, I, it's, I can't really defend myself, but I, I did try after being punched like six times and the final punch he delivered directly to my face um, immediately gave me a concussion. I slammed to the floor. Um, at that point, one of the anti-vaxxers even realized, okay, this has gone too far. And he actually tried to stop his fellow um, people from continually beating me when I was on the ground. Um, at that point, I got up and I was in a daze. My face was covered in blood. I had both of my eye sockets broken. My nose was broken. I was trying to come back from a concussion, and the crowd continued to advance on me. Um, they continued to attack me. I got pepper sprayed. I got maced. Um, 
eventually I managed to escape after defending myself from a pretty severe beating. And, you know, I, I really, I learned firsthand how, how much law enforcement supports the violence of the far right, not just the, the posturing of the far right. You know, I know a lot of protesters, especially at Weespa, they might have an app, app they might be apprehensive to file police reports when they are attacked by pro by by the far right. I decided to quote unquote do it the right way. So, um, you know, I was admitted to Cedar Sinai emergency room. I wasn't uh, released until probably like one a.m. or two a.m. Um, the next day, I went to the West Hollywood Sheriff's t- Station and filed a police report. I I knew the people who attacked me. I know their names. I've been observing them for two years. You know, and, and the the MMA man who who punched me repeatedly he's someone who has been stalking me and when i say stalking i mean literally following me into a park when i'm just with a friend after a protest um as far back as uh, halloween of 2020 and so i I knew who the people were who had attacked me i you know some of them were regular far-right extremists one of them was a capital rioter two of the people in the mob are affiliated with the neo-nazi groiper movement i knew who these folks were i decided to tell the police or tell the sheriff's department, you know, I, there's video of it all happening from the right wingers, in fact. So I was just like, look, there's video supporting me, so I'll, I'll be fine. You know, the video speaks, it's unedited, just watch the video. Um, the response to LASD learning that an independent reporter was severely beaten to the point of hospitalization was to, well, first, they didn't do anything. They didn't investigate for about a couple months. And finally, I, I called the detective that I'd been in contact with. I was like, hey, do, do, do you have any updates? This guy, Mike Inchata, he assaulted me. It's on camera. I gave you his information. Are, are you going to, do you need, do you need anything else from me? And he actually told me, yes, um, could you come in for a photo lineup to identify the attacker? And I said, yes, I'd be happy to. I love, you know, I'm not a fan of the police, but I'm happy to collaborate if it means, you know, um, addressing a violent incident that occurred. And so I went to the West Hollywood Sheriff's Station. I was shown several photos of men who looked nothing like my assailants. And in the middle of the interview, I was arrested. I was handcuffed and I was put in jail for about six hours and charged with battery for the one punch that I threw that missed after I had been punched about seven or eight times. Um, so I learned firsthand the police are not going to investigate far-right violence. And if you, a victim of far-right violence, are going to file a police report, they're more likely going to investigate you because you're making it easy for them. And, yeah. you know, after yeah. I was arrested, Andy No posted about it. I became an even larger target for the far-right. Um, the doxing got even worse. Um, it was after my arrest and Andy No posted about me that uh, my parents were doxed. And, you know, I've had to move. I've had to take a lot of safety precautions that I, I don't think I ever thought I'd have to. And it really changed the entire dynamic of my entire life in very disruptive ways. I, in fact, I mean, I wasn't able to even go on the ground for protests for maybe four or five months just for safety. I was constantly getting threats saying, oh, Vishal, if you show up again, we're going to kill you. Oh, Vishal, next time you're not going to walk away from that. Um, you know, very, very clear indications that they were not a fan of my reporting and that they were willing to resort to 
physical violence to prevent me from my reporting when it came to the right wing demonstrations and that law enforcement at best wasn't going to stop them and at worst was going to arrest me for it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's important as well to like, you know, just give the context here that this is much more than um, than just, you know, having having your face punched in, which is which like I'm I'm not saying that that's not bad. I'm saying that there's like, you know, uh, in, in Oregon in Portland, there's that guy that just like walked out and started shooting people. Uh, yep. Like, like, yeah, I mean, like there have been like, it, it, it goes far beyond like just putting people in hospital. Like, like people are getting killed. Um, and, and the, the, the level of stalking that you're talking about, which is absolutely terrifying, um, is, is like another example of this. Um, I do think it's interesting just, just the last couple of minutes that we have here. I just want just want to talk just a little bit more about, um, so the police, you know, so you go to the police, like you said, and then, you know, the, 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 not only did they not, not do anything about it, but they kind of flip it around on you. Um, uh, in, in your videos, you, you're still, I noticed that your video from, um, from Tuesday, uh, I, I think you, you know, you're just, you're still just like walking right up to them. Uh, like there's no, you don't, you don't appear to have like a lot of, of, uh, of fear of them. And, and I'm wondering like, like how, but how does that kind of affect? Cause you said that you didn't go for four or five months, but this is like, that was kind of more about like the extreme right, uh, elements of, of those demonstrations. As far as people, uh, in the police, people in the LAPD, uh, how, how is this experience? Like how, how did that change the way that you approach them when you're doing your work? How, how does that make it, uh, different? Um, like, like, are you, are you a little bit more apprehensive? Do you, do you feel like a little bit more endangered or is it just basically the same? Just now they know who you are. Um, so for the last two years, LAPD and LASD and also Beverly Hills Police Department have slowly become more and more familiar with me, my work, um, my political beliefs and they don't like me. They don't like what I'm about. They don't like what I'm standing for. They don't like the perspective that I've put out. Um, they keep a very close eye on me. That hasn't generated fear in me, although I do know that's partially part of their intent. If anything, it's kind of emboldened me to be more confrontational with my journalism. I don't really have any issue walking right up to an officer while he's batoning someone. And if he batons me, I, so be it. I just all I'm worried about is if I get a good shot, you know, because I know that there is a real. Um, it's really vital that people see this kind of thing, that, that this kind of stuff is happening very, very regularly. It's become so normalized. And I, I know that showing fear is just not productive for my work. So I don't, whether I'm afraid or not, I'm not going to show it. And um, whether it's me surrounded by 30 Trump supporters beating me up, or whether it's me surrounded by 500 cops shooting less lethal munitions, it is what it is. I'm going to keep filming. Just I, that's all I know. I just know to keep filming and keep talking about what I see. Um, and of course, that has put me in the line of fire several times. I've been, um, and I, this is all documented with the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker, I've been batoned over two dozen times. I've been shot with less lethal munitions multiple times. I've been hit with all, all three kinds of less lethal. I've been hit with pepper balls. I've been hit with the 40 millimeter rubber bullet. And I've been hit at point blank range with the beanbag shotgun that I told you about that killed a man on Sunday. And um, that stuff, you know, it might take me out of commission for a week or two, but 
I always end up coming back and I don't have any intention of slowing down or stopping um, because the harder they push, the more it makes me realize, oh, so there is a real value to my work. There is something unique here that I need to keep doing because it, it, it was a service that was severely lacking in terms of of mainstream reporters. And I know I have a lot of colleagues in the more corporate end of journalism and in the more indie side. And I think together we can kind of fill in a lot of gaps and kind of create cohesive narratives about what goes on out there on, on all sides. And, and, and I have a, I have a bias for truth and I just think people need to know. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, this has been great. What, uh, what an interesting, interesting conversation. I think that, uh, uh LA, especially cause I live on the East coast. We, you know, L- LA doesn't get quite as much coverage obviously as, as New York does, but, um, but, but obviously you guys are a, a massive city and, and have, uh, your own issues with, with police down there. Um, and the, the, the protest movement there, I think, I think that is like really illustrative of what is happening, uh, around the country, as you were saying, especially with like the right wing protesters, uh, and protest movement growing in, in ways that I think a lot of people are, uh, either like not seeing or kind of ignoring, uh, that this movement is growing though. It is, it is getting a lot larger and, uh, know uh, elements of the police certainly uh in in large cities and small towns alike uh are right there right there with them um and and certainly uh seeing seeing an escalation uh like we saw uh on tuesday from your work uh with dhs attacking pro-choice uh protesters is certainly certainly something to to keep an eye on um so where can people uh, find your work and how, how can they uh, kind of support what you do and, uh, and, and, and what, what's a good way to just kind of keep up on, 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 your, uh, on your journalism? Sure. So um, you can always find me on Twitter at FPS underscore reports. Um, I've also got a news blog where I'm posting a lot of my articles and write-ups. Um, that is VPSreports.com. Um, I'm also writing somewhat regularly for, um, LCRW news and it's going down news, um, both wonderful publications, wonderful folks there. Um, yeah, you can, you can keep to date there. Um, I've got a cash app and stuff, but mostly I, I try to do this journalism on a volunteer basis. You know, it's really important to me that, um, I, I kind of have an anti-profit mentality with journalism because I've seen one of the biggest pitfalls for a lot of my colleagues has been um the uh has been the limitation of having to make an income out of journalism I'm really privileged that I can make an income out of my documentary filmmaking and so with when it comes to my journalism I really don't want to follow the money I want to follow what story needs to be told whether it's profitable or not so I I, I really just the best way you can support my work is to just read it and spread it. If you see something that you might not have learned. Awesome. Other- awesome. Well, uh, Vishal, thank you so, so much, uh, for joining, uh, for everybody, uh, listening live or on replay, as I said, at the top of the show, if you are on the app, please subscribe, uh, and follow the show. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, please follow rate, subscribe. I'll do all the, however they, 
term that stuff on, on, on those platforms. Consider getting the app so that you can join us uh, for these conversations live. Uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, we'll talk next week. Hopefully, uh, the news over the next couple days will uh, be a little less dire, but uh, I wouldn't bet on that. Um, yeah, so we'll see you Monday or Tuesday. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Bye.